Matthew chapter 8, um, we saw in the last section there that <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. He saw her, he saw the need, and he cared about it. And after he healed her, you remember, she got right up and she began to serve. And there really is a joy and a satisfaction in serving. We saw he set people free from demons. He healed all kinds of other people. Because why? Because he has the power. He has the authority. He can do that. Simply say the word. Simply touch someone. We saw there uh, that, that uh, <clears throat> Matthew's quoting from Isaiah that he took up our infirmities there in verse 17. And he carried our diseases. He still heals today, but he's sovereign. And there is healing at the cross. But some of the results of that healing are not until later. Some of them are immediate. Some are guaranteed right here and right now. And, that, and that's what I wanted to say again is that it is certain that, that our healing for sin is certain. It's there. It's at the cross. He took it upon himself, all of our sin. And to any who would come to him, immediate salvation, immediate eternal life, immediately a relationship with him is possible. However, whether he heals us physically here and now, the truth is also that he will carry us no matter what. He'll carry you and he'll carry me through the things of this life because he loves us. Matthew 8, verse 18 through 22, we're going to look at that section today. To those that do come to him, his call is what? To follow him. Look at verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my, my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Someone said this, that we've seen in this chapter, we've seen Jesus exercising authority over disease and over demons. He said it's only when he comes in contact with men and women that he meets with resistance. That's where he has the trouble with you and me. You know, the demons, they have to do what he says, no matter what. Yeah, they fight against him, but he has to do it. They have to do what he says. Same with physical issues. He has power. But you and I, you see, he's given us free will as well, and, and, he, and, and we fight. The question, the question in this passage, and I think, you know, we see it in so many other passages, this idea of following him, the, the question is, how much is it going to cost me? How much is it going to cost you and I to be a follower of Jesus? Is it money? Is it time? Eternal life is a free gift. It's free. But following Jesus, following him discipleship, true discipleship, costs everything, costs all we have. Did you understand that? Eternal life, salvation is a free gift. Living in Him is free, completely free. But living for Him costs everything that we have. That's what Jesus says here and in so many other places. Costs everything we have. <clears throat> 
Look at verse 18 again. He says he saw the crowd. The crowd was around him. He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. He gave these orders. Why? Because, again, we've been seeing that he is Lord. He is Master. That, that he is, uh, he's got the authority to give us orders, as it were. All authority has been given unto him. But again, this, this idea, and it, it all ties together of, of following him. Is he really Lord? You know, it starts out when we're young, you know, and it's, uh, it's the, uh, the, the phrase that I heard around our house and that we joke about it, but it's true. It's, you know, you're not the boss of me. The kids say that. You know, they started around about a year and a half, I think, uh, before they can even kind of get the words together. You're not the boss of me. No. <clears throat> I talked to Anthony on the phone last night. He's, he's in California. He went to the, to the missions conference, and he's out visiting family and, and uh, grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents and, and that. But <clears throat> I was trying to talk to him, and, you know, there's this screaming noise in the background, right? And I'm going, like, what's the problem? And it's Zeb, right? He's just screaming his lungs out. And I go, like, what's his problem? What'd you do to him? And uh, he, said, he said, well, he, he wanted to go outside with his mother to the car. Okay, what's the big deal? And so he told him, put your shoes on. And he said, no. He said, no, I want to put my sandals on. Well, it's cold there. He, so he said, no, I want you to put your shoes on. So he said, no, I want to put my sandals on. He said, okay, well, then you're not going outside. And so it exploded into this screen fest because he didn't want to do a simple thing like that. And you say, well, that's a kid, and that's, you know, the little kids, you know, they're like that. They throw tantrums, they throw fits. Well, you and I, are we really any different? We're just bigger bodies, a little bit older, and we do the same thing with this one that we call Lord. Master, and we say, I'll follow you. That's what this guy did here. He said, he said this. He said, <clears throat> look at verse 19. He said, the teacher of the law came to him, and he said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And I can imagine he was, he was excited about it. He was enthusiastic. You know, he'd seen all these things happening, of course. And he says to Jesus, I will follow you. And you can put emphasis on these different words and come up with all kinds of, of, of interesting thoughts. He says, I will follow you, like maybe the others won't, but I will. We've heard that before in, in different places. He says, I will follow you. I will follow you. I will follow you wherever you go. I think, I think you know, looking at that, if we just stop there, that's an incredible thing, isn't it, for him to, for him to have the heart to say that. For you and I to have the heart to say to Jesus, Jesus, you know, my life is yours. I will follow you wherever you go. Do whatever you say. Uh, you know, whatever you want from me. And I think that's what he wants, that kind of a heart, really, for us to be like that. This personal choice, this personal decision, I think it's wonderful. The teacher here who, who he says to the teacher... You know, you know, sometimes we think that we're unteachable or we're, we're, you know, we know it all and we're not ready, but the teacher says to the teacher, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. It is a choice and it's a personal thing. and it, it, We don't do that necessarily as a group. We do that one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. 
no matter what someone else around us, no matter what the whole group's doing, the crowd or whatever is doing. But you know what? It needs to be real. And we shouldn't say it if we don't mean it. It needs to be real. And we need to understand what it means. I'm not sure that this particular guy had thought through everything. He was caught up in the moment, the excitement of it. I'll follow you wherever you go. He says, you know, we're going to go to the other side of the lake. Sure, I can do that. Let's go. Well, it was way more than just getting in a boat and following him to the other side of the lake. Would you not agree? Following Jesus is way more than a little boat ride across the Sea of Galilee. I've been, we've, you know, we've been in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And it's, you know, it was like, wow, this is cool. I can follow Jesus doing this, you know. But you read the rest of the story and you get the whole picture of what he's talking about here. And look what he says. But let me, before we read that again, uh, uh, one, one man named uh, Boyce said this. He said, Jesus has authority over the lives of his disciples. Jesus determines what following him will involve, not us. Therefore, if you are going to follow Jesus, it must be on his terms rather than on your own. If we're going to follow him, we're going to follow him on his terms. He sets the agenda. He sets the pace. He sets everything. If we're really going to follow him, if not... Don't tell him you're going to follow him wherever you go. And Jesus replied, look at his answer to him. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This guy says, I'm going to go wherever you go. And Jesus, you know, he, you know, he could have said, wow, cool, here, let me give you a medal. Let me give you, you know, uh, put your name on the list and, and put you up and, and do all these things for you. Jesus said, wait, wait a minute. Let me just, let me explain something to you. You're saying, you're saying you're going to follow me wherever I go. Well, don't you know that, have you thought about what it is that you're saying? You're going to follow me? I don't even have a house. I don't even have a, a permanent residence. I'm kind of homeless, so to speak. Have you really thought this through? He said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If, if that's what following Jesus means, would you and I still follow him? If it means that we have no home, if it means that the cost is huge, there is a cost of following Jesus, and, and he calls on you and I to count the cost. Before we make these rash statements and, and enthusiasm, we're running around the sanctuary saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, and then we go outside and, and it hits us. Like, what does that mean? And what does that mean for me personally? What does that mean for you personally to follow Jesus in your life? Think of where you work, where you live, your family, the house you live in, maybe the people you live with. Think of all those things. What does it mean for you to follow Jesus in your life? What does that mean? Because it's not the same for everybody, you know. It's not like following Jesus means for every one of us, this is how we dress, this is how we talk, this is how we act, this is where we go, this is where we... No, each one of us needs to follow him individually. And, and, and for each one of us, it might mean different things. I, you know, I might not be allowed to do something that maybe Jesus will allow you to do. There are certain things. There are certain things that, that I believe he's called me not to do 
uh, at all whatsoever that might be okay for you. There's some things that are not okay for any, any of us. Let's make that clear, first of all. <clears throat> Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And verse 26. <clears throat> Let's read what it says there. Let's start in verse 25. Large, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate, yep, that's what it says there, hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You say, wow, those are like heavy words. Like, what is he saying? Like, we got to hate everybody? What he's saying is that if, if there's anything else, if there's any relationship, any person, any kind of thing that is more important than following after him, then, then don't even bother. Don't even think about it. Look what he says, verse 28. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king, and will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? Let's think about this for a minute. Verse 32, if he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace in the same way. In the same way, if any of you, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Count the cost. Think about it ahead of time. Think about what you're saying here. We're not just mindless automatons following Jesus. No, we are living, breathing human beings and, and we make our own decisions. He's given us choice, free will to say, yes, I will follow you. Yes, I will give my life to you. One commentary says this, following Jesus is not always easy or comfortable. Often it involves great cost and sacrifice with no earthly rewards or security. Jesus did not have a place to call home. You may find that following Christ costs you popularity, friendships, leisure time, or treasured habits. And while the cost of following Christ is high, the value of being Christ's disciple, disciple is even higher. If you desire to follow Christ, you must be willing to face hardship. Would you be willing to give up your home to follow Christ? It costs everything to follow Him. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to ask us to do those things. But it's a matter of the heart, isn't it? Where is our heart in that? Do we really mean it? Like, Lord, I'm going to do whatever you ask, whatever you ask, whatever you say. I'll just point out to you, it's this use of the word son of man here. Back, Let's go back to Matthew. He uses the term son of man about himself, and this is the first time in the 
New Testament where that is used. We're going to talk about that uh, in a later study. But it's used 81 times of, of Jesus, about Jesus, 79 times by Jesus himself, and two quoting him, the Son of Man. We'll, we'll talk about that. Look at verse 21 and 22 again. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Another disciple, a different person. Okay, we're not all the same. A different person. The first guy comes, all this excitement, enthusiasm, and, and Jesus kind of dumps water onto his, his parade. But this one comes up to him, uh, you know, <clears throat> he says to him, you know, Lord, first let me. And there's some kind of, you know, um, contradictions in those words, isn't there? Lord, which again, the word Lord means Lord, boss, master, one in charge. Lord, first let me go do such and such. You can fill in the blank there, you know. It's not just let me go bury my father. Let me go do anything and everything. Now you say, well, isn't Jesus being kind of insensitive? He says, you know, don't worry about your dad. You know, forget about that. Your dad's dead, so what? Let someone else worry about him. Is that what he's saying here? Not even allowed to go to his father's funeral? Say, wow. But you know, the truth of it is that back in those days and in Israel at that time, that if someone died, they buried him the very same day. They buried him right then, that day. Not, you know, keep them on, you know, in, in what's the word where you... Embalming, yeah, thank you. Not embalming and keeping them, you know, for weeks, two weeks. You know, it was like, no, we got to bury this guy right now. And so most likely, if that had happened to this guy, he wouldn't even be there anyways. He'd be taking care of that business. So when you think about the whole thing, this guy's father was most likely not even dead yet. He had, and you've probably heard this before, he, he wasn't even dead yet. And so he's saying, let me go and see what's going to happen with that. Maybe, maybe he was thinking about his inheritance. I've got to get that all sorted out first, make sure I get my share of the cash before I can you know, really commit to following you. Oh, don't use that word commitment. That's like a bad word in a lot of circles. And, and uh, you know, I, I sat around the dinner table last week and that word came up and it's like, oh, don't use that word commitment. First, let me go and do this. I'll follow you later. After I do this, after I make a lot of money, after I, you know, get that promotion, after I become CEO, after I, you know, get my PhD, after I, after I get married, after I get whatever. I'll follow you later. I'll do it then. First, let me go. And he says, you go. Go, go for it. He says, you know what? If you really... Serious about it, you got to follow me now, not later. If you really want to follow me, now is the time. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what the next week's going to hold. You don't know. If you're going to follow him, he wants you to follow him today. When you leave this place, today he wants you to follow him. And each and every day, that's the truth. 
Barclay said this. It's not Charles Barclay. I hate to say it. William Barclay said that Jesus was wise. He said Jesus knew the human heart, and Jesus knew well that if that man did not follow him in the moment, he never would. He said again and again, there, comes, there come to us moments of impulse when we are moved to the higher things, and then again and again we let them pass without acting upon them. The tragedy of life is so often the tragedy of the unseized moment. You know, that, that he's calling us and he's putting before us choices day after day after day. Choices of what we're going to choose and how we're going to live and to do something, to say something, to let go of something, to run from something, to fight against something. And right there, that's, are you going to follow me right now? You say, well, later on I'll deal with that. Right now I got to. And, ha- and how many times we, we don't get the opportunity again or we just, we just, if we don't do it right then, we're not going to do it at all. Procrastination is like our middle name, right? I don't know if it is for me about a lot of things. It says, do it now. When Paul the Apostle was talking to Felix, the king, he said he was talking about, it says in Acts 24 that Paul was talking about righteousness, self-control, the judgment to come. And Felix was afraid and he said, that's enough for now, you may leave. He says, when I find it convenient, I will send for you. That's enough. I don't want to hear any more about that. We say that to the Lord, too. That's enough for now, Jesus. When it's convenient, I'll, we'll talk about this again. Maybe when it, and is it ever convenient? Is it really ever convenient to, like, seriously, truly follow Jesus? No. He may not call us to give up certain things, but the question is, are we willing? And if, and if he is, Asking us to do certain things, will we? Will our family or our friends or our fun or our funds or our future keep us from following Jesus with all that we have? Maybe there's a relationship that stands between us and following him. Maybe we have a, a, an excuse, and it may even be a good excuse, but is it any good? No. Maybe we're like Peter, and at, at, after you know, Jesus got arrested, it says he was following what? at a distance, following afar off. Maybe we're following, we're, we're willing, but we're going to keep our distance. I'm not, I'm going to get too close here. And we know what happened after that, right? He denied the Lord three times. Luke, Luke adds to, uh, to this <clears throat> parallel uh, passage to this. He says this, that no one, Jesus replied, he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He says, don't look back. You're going to follow him. If you're going to follow him, look forward, look ahead. Do not look back to all the garbage back there. That's not going to help you or me get, get where we need to go. Have you ever tried to drive with your eyes in the rearview mirror, seeing what's back there? It's very dangerous. Elijah, you know, was... In, a, in the great test between him and the prophets of Baal and Asherah, and uh, he went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long are you going to go back and forth like this? He says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But it, the interesting thing, it says there that the people said nothing. They did nothing. They didn't do anything. 
Later on, we find they did say some things. But right then, you know, inactivity, procrastination, putting it off. He's calling us to go for it and don't look back. Barclay also said this, and I, uh, I love this. He says, there's no thrill like the way of Christ. There's no glory like the end of that way. But Jesus Christ never said it was an easy way. There's nothing like what is ahead of us, and there's nothing like following him. There's, nothing, there's, no, there's no greater joy and glory than following him and having a, a, a true walk and a, and a fellowship with him. So what happened to these two guys? We don't know for sure. We see the first guy, he had all this enthusiasm, and, but he didn't really think it through. He didn't really like count the cost. And then the other guy, he was just full of excuses. And so the question that we, we need to ask ourselves, I think each and every day, is where are we in this discipleship or following? Maybe it's a time to choose. You've been wavering between different ways. Are you going to follow me or not? If not, go somewhere else. book of Revelation talks about you know, being lukewarm. You're kind of trying to do both. Lukewarm in the middle. A little hot, a little cold, a little lukewarm, a little spit you out of my mouth. He says, if you're going to go for it, you, you go for it. That's what he's saying to you and to me. Whether you're going to follow Jesus or we're not. Not playing games. This is serious stuff. Maybe it's a time to rededicate ourselves. But I think each step of the way, we need to make the choices and, and we need to ask and talk to him about them. He is Lord. Someone said, do not let the demand for absolute loyalty of the difficulties of following Jesus keep you back, as they seem to have done in the case of these disciples. He says, run to Jesus. Cast yourself before him. Worship him as God and Savior and get on with the task of living for him in every moment of your life. Get on with it. That's, that's the call to you and me. Let's get on with it and follow him. That's what he's asking for us. Let me just close with a, a couple of passages and one quote. In the Gospel of Matthew, later on, we'll get to it in chapter 13, Jesus says these words, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. It's worth everything. He sold everything. Why? Because he knew that, that was, that's where the joy was in following. When David, King David, was uh, in negotiations uh, for some property, for the place where the altar would be, he was dealing with uh, a man, and <clears throat> this man said to him, listen, just take the property. I'm going to give it to you. But David said this to this man. He said, no. He said, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I won't do it. I'm, you know, I, I want to I give myself. I want to put in. I want to be part of this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who ended up being a martyr for his faith, he says, if we answer the call to discipleship, where will it lead us? What decisions and partings will it demand? He says, to answer this question, we shall have to go to him, that is to Jesus, for only he knows the answer. Only Jesus Christ who bids us follow him knows the journey's end. But we do know 
that it will be a road of boundless mercy and discipleship means joy. That's what I was saying earlier. He knows what it means for you. I can't give you all those answers. What exactly does that mean? How does that look for you, each one of you? I, don't, I can't say that, but, but he'll tell you. He'll show you. And you'll know, and there's mercy there, and there's joy there. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and, and even these most challenging words that, that you call us to, to give it all up for you, to follow you. You gave it all to us. You gave your life completely and totally upon the cross for us to give us eternal life freely. But to follow you, you're calling us to give it all back. To give everything we are, everything we have. And I know, Lord, it it means different things to each one of us. And you may not be calling us to give up certain things physical items, but, but are we willing? Is our hearts, are our hearts open to, to, to lay it all before the, the throne, before the cross, before you? Lord, each person here has is, is, uh, got to make choices each and every day. Lord, help us, Lord. Some of, some of the time our, our, you know, our, our flesh is so weak and we, our spirit is willing and our flesh is weak and we just don't want to even think about it. But, but you're calling us to that life of dedication, commitment, and serious consecration to you, Lord, in this world where it's not even popular. Lord, help us to follow you. I pray too, Lord, for any this morning who are kind of on the, still on the outside looking in and heard this message too and, and wondering like, what, is, what does that mean? But I, I know that I'm lost and I need a Savior. I need I need hope and I need help in this life. Well, come to Jesus, the cross, where he gave himself for you. And you simply surrender your life today, this, this morning, right here and right now, and, 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 and in your heart, and, and simply say to him, Lord, I come. And I confess that I'm, I'm a sinner and I'm lost and I need you. Father God, thank you so much that we can gather together, but help us, Lord, when we leave this place to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.